I'm Pastor Gerald Rico, and this message is a part of our online ministry here at River of Life in Menominee, Wisconsin. To find out more about us, please visit our website, riveroflife.co. Again, that is riveroflife.co. But for now, prepare your heart and enjoy this message. One more time, welcome. We are excited that you are worshiping with us this morning, and welcome to our online family as well. Uh, We are finishing up a series that we started a few weeks back, talking about how hope is here. And I hope that you've been enjoying the series. I hope it's been something that has been uh, inspirational to you. And we recognize that as we talk about hope, hope is a big concept in the Bible. Hope is a big concept in the church. But one thing that I've recognized as I have been uh, preparing these messages and thinking through, you know, how do I communicate hope? How do I help people recognize the hope that is out there? That the truth is, for hope to be viable, it has to be believable. For hope to be viable, it has to be believable. If I were to tell you this morning that by the end of service, by, by the end of this day, a sparkly unicorn is going to be coming through and dropping off million-dollar gifts on each seat. Most of us probably wouldn't stick around. You might actually decide that you're going to leave service right now if I'm trying to assert that to you, right? Because that's not a viable hope. At least I don't think it is. Maybe we need to do some more research. I don't know. Uh, research is amazing stuff, right? But, but anyway, the truth is you have to believe it for you to be able to take a hold of it. And I came across some stuff as I was preparing for this message on some amazing stories. How many of you have ever had an amazing story that was too good to be true? Or, or just so outrageous that people wouldn't believe you even if you told it to them. Like, I started looking up some stories that were like fantastical, so outrageous that they seem unbelievable. Like, the fact that our neighbors over in Minnesota, they, there's a the town called Cormant, Minnesota, and they elected a dog to be their mayor. Four times! So not only did he beat the other candidates once, they reelected him four times. Then he finally got too old. He was 91. And so he, he decided he's going to retire. Dog ears, of course. But, but anyway, so yeah. The other thing you may not realize, you know, look it up, see, see if I'm lying. It takes a week on average to cook one jelly bean. Outrageous. I mean, obviously you can cook thousands at a time, but it takes an entire week for a jelly bean to be released and to be considered in perfect condition for consumption. And uh, I'm a buttered popcorn jelly belly uh, fan, in case you're wondering, but that, that's, that, that's, that's, that's amazing to me. But probably the one that blew me away the most was discovering how much clouds weigh. I asked a few people, you know, once I found out, how, how much do you think a cloud weighs? And because it's up in the sky, you just kind of assume it's weightless, right? Like there, there, there's no weight to it. But again, got to trust the science, right? They, if you collect all of those rain droplets that are up there in the sky and you put them together, the average cumulus cloud 
weighs 1.1 million pounds. 1.1 million pounds. That's like having a hundred elephants just dangling above you. Outrageous, but true. And unless you took some time and investigated and studied, you would never know that these clouds are so heavy. Obviously, it's a lot of weight spread over a lot of space and a lot of air in between all that weight, but there you have it. Well, today we're going to talk about the fact that there is hope for the doubter. Because, as I mentioned, for hope to be believable, or to be viable, it has to be believable. We, we, have to, we actually have to believe that something is possible for us to accept the hope that it offers. And for 2,000 years, we've been talking about our belief in a man who rose from the dead. A man who claimed to be God. And a man who deserves all of our worship. And for 2,000 years, there have been skeptics. There have been people who don't believe this story. I personally believe that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most historically searchable, knowable truths out there. That if we throw that away as a non-historical fact, you have to throw away all of history. Because there is more history, there is more study, there is more things that have been devoted to finding out whether or not this is true than any other thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. Especially in the ancient world where we don't have you know, videos and, and things that, you know, YouTube and great things that we can rely upon. But the crazy part about it was even those who were closest to him didn't believe it at first. We're, we're going to look at a man named Thomas, and unfortunately, Thomas gets a bad rap. You, you look at Thomas's overall discipline and, and what he did as someone who was following Christ. Like most of the stories around Thomas show him this, this, this bold guy. Let's go do this. Let's go die for Christ. And then one time he's not in the room, and now we call him Doubting Thomas because he didn't believe. See, the story is, we, we have the resurrection. Jesus Christ died. He rose from the dead. And then he began to appear to different people, including ten of the disciples that were following Jesus closely. But Thomas wasn't in the room. And so they came to him and they told him, but he said, I don't believe it. As a matter of fact, why don't we read? If you wouldn't mind standing, we're going to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 20, and I'll be reading verses 24 through 27 and reading out of the New Living Translation. And this is how it reads. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus 
was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Jesus, I pray this morning that you would help our unbelief. God, I believe that you are wanting to speak a message of hope to the doubts we carry within us. That we could have not just a living hope, not just a hope that we can hold on to, but a, but a hope that we have certainty in. And that hope would carry us. I pray this morning that as we look into your word, you could do what I could never do. And that is convince hearts, convince minds that you would be the one that helps us all recognize this faith we have is certain because we have a God who's been so faithful. God, we, we, just, we give you this service and we ask that you would be glorified as we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, while you're being seated, why don't you wave at a couple of people. Let them know how excited you are to be worshiping with them. you're on online throw some praise emojis maybe tell us your most incredible fact that we wouldn't believe but we're looking at these disciples and we're especially focusing here on Thomas Thomas didn't believe that Jesus rose and and he was very indignant he's like i need these proofs if i'm going to believe these things need to take place And so, one of the things that I want us to look at this morning and to recognize is that when when we talk about doubt, that doubt is natural. That when things like this happen, it's natural to doubt. Like, these people were just told that their best friend, who they watched be crucified, which was not something that you just came back from. It's not like he got knocked out and they thought he was dead. The people who killed him were professionals. They, they made sure people were dead. So these, these people watched their best friend die and then began to hear stories that he had rose from the dead. And so doubt is natural. There's no reason why they shouldn't have doubted. John, in in verse 25, we we read what Thomas said. He said, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound on his side. I mean, honestly, I don't think that's an unrealistic expectation. I mean, he's hearing all these stories. He's probably thinking his friends have lost their minds. He's probably thinking this is just outrageous. And he's like, you guys are all crazy. I know what happened. I'm not going to believe it unless. And here's the thing. Most of us have gone through enough of life. At least I, I don't know how long you are on your faith journey. Maybe you've, you're not even on a faith journey right now. 
and you doubt any of this. And, and to that, I just want to say welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're, we're glad that you are exploring the hope that we are proclaiming. But anybody who's walked in this for any length of time recognizes that hope and doubt kind of commingle to a point. That there's, there is something that comes up where when we get far enough along in this journey, we begin to question things, especially when terrible things happen. I like what one pastor, uh, John Nielsen, said. He said, I think that any Christian who hasn't struggled with doubts is probably guilty of not thinking deeply enough about his or her faith. He goes on to say that or they're just lying, that they don't have doubts. That, that the truth is, if, if you've been in this for any length of time and you've thought for any amount of time, you recognize there's some parts of the Bible, there's some parts of these truths that are hard to understand. And what, I, what I'm afraid happens too often in the church is we slap a little Christianese phrase on there that says, well, just trust and believe. If the, if the Word says it, then I believe it. Well, okay, great. But then how do you deal with some of the crazy stuff in there? And not that I'm saying it's not believable. But we have to be honest with the fact that some of it is hard to believe. Some of it's hard to understand. And some of the things that we read are hard to say, how do we, how do we justify that with what we understand of God? And recognize that sometimes it's our flaw in thinking, and sometimes it's just the fact that the Bible's hard. There's difficult things in there. And not all of them are there to be fully comprehended. But it doesn't mean we run away from those things, and it doesn't mean we run away from the fact that doubt is a natural part of the faith journey. The other thing that I love about this story in particular is that while we recognize that doubt is natural, we see that Jesus invites investigation. Jesus doesn't get upset. Like, as I mentioned, for 2,000 years, the church has decided to call Thomas Doubting Thomas. I mean, it's... It's a phrase that is in our American culture. It's, you know, if somebody doesn't believe, they may not even know the Bible, but they'll call them a doubting Thomas. Like it's just, it's just something that is a, a reality here, but Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't condemn Thomas. He actually says, go ahead and investigate. In verse 27, he says, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in, my, in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And I want to let you know, I think this truth of who Jesus is is something that can be investigated. That He didn't leave this up to chance. That we talk about taking blind leaps of faith, but the truth is, when we really understand what Christianity is all about, it's not really a blind leap. It's a reasonable leap. It's a reasonable leap based on evidence that is abundant. And so he said, here, test this. See if it's real. He, he made sure Thomas did not have an excuse that he didn't have enough evidence. Now, he still had to wrestle with the fact that this seemed like an impossible thing, but he put the evidence out there. I've said it before, I'll probably say it a hundred times more, but 
if something is the truth, it can bear being questioned. If something is a lie, it has to be questioned. We, we can't just take things at face value all the time. And I believe that this truth of the hope we have in Jesus Christ is something that the evidence will bear out. There are story after story after story of skeptics who said, I'm going to go and disprove the Bible. Who have only had to leave their pursuits behind or have converted to Christianity themselves. Because the evidence is so overwhelming. And that's the last thing that I want us to leave with this morning is that the evidence is everywhere. The evidence of the power of Jesus Christ is everywhere. Once Thomas saw the evidence, he was convinced. Matter of fact, we don't even have record that they actually went up and touched Jesus. Just Jesus being there and showing himself to him was enough. And in verses 28 and 29, we read this. As Jesus made this offer to him, Thomas just fell down. He said, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Right there, he's saying we're blessed. We're blessed because we have chosen to believe even though we have never seen the physical manifestation of Jesus Christ. And the vast majority of people who follow him have never seen him physically appear to them. Now, there are stories where I've heard of Jesus appearing to people in different places in different ways, and I think he can still do that. But most of us will believe without that kind of evidence. But it doesn't mean the evidence isn't there. It doesn't mean that there is no lack of evidence. That just because we're believing without seeing him, we believe because he's given us enough. As a matter of fact, that's why we have the Gospels. That's why we have these early stories that were collected for us. And John, just two verses later, says very clearly, these are, this is why I'm telling you these stories. In verse 31, John, the author who wrote this about Thomas, he says, but these things are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. He's saying, the whole reason I wrote this book, the whole reason why I wrote down what I wrote down was so that you could know the truth of what you have been told. Because at this point in the journey, this was the last gospel to be written. And people were beginning to wonder, did this really happen? Did this really, did this Jewish carpenter really claim to be the Messiah? Did he really die? Did he really rise from the dead? Or is this all just a bunch of fairy tales? And so one of Jesus' closest earthly friends, John, decided, I've got to let people know this is real. And so he tells his account from a very personal perspective. And he says, there are so many miracles that Jesus did, and there are so many stories that Jesus told that the world could not contain all that he did if they were written down. But he said, I wrote these things down 
so that you can have a confidence that what you believe is true. That's why I think John is a great gospel to read through if you're wanting to understand more about who Jesus is. John is very convincing in showing that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus didn't mince words about that, that he very clearly demonstrated his power and his authority and his intention to draw men to himself. So, we need to recognize that the evidence of God is all around us. Let, let's be a people who choose to seek it out. Let's be a people who say, I don't want to allow my unbelief to dictate how I live my life. I want my life to be dictated by the certainty, by the hope that we have in Jesus. So, as we end this series, I want to continue to invite you. Let's be people who don't just hear about hope, don't just talk about hope, but we actually live out hope. That we, we invite other people into the experience of hope. And so I want to encourage you one more time, if you haven't already set up, we're, we're going to be, over the next few weeks, developing more material to go into our lifeguard program. But I really want to encourage you to be a part of lifeguards. That you would be someone who's saying, I want to be a part of saying, hope is here, hope is in me, hope is in this church, hope is in the presentation of who Jesus is. And so together, we're going to take time and we're going to pour over Scripture. Together, we're going to take time and we're going to pray for people who are far from God. We're going to pursue and practice hospitality. We're going to say, we're going to invite people into our lives and find ways to allow the truth of who He is to influence the people around us. And then we're going to simply invite accountability as well. We're going to say, I want other people holding me accountable for this. And that's what the lifeguard group is going to be about. We're going to put us together in ways where we're going to be holding each other accountable and helping each other to make sure we're doing what God has called us to do. And so if you're interested and you haven't already signed up, I want to encourage you to jump over and be a part of this. That if you're on Facebook, you can uh, go to riveroflife.co forward slash follow. And that's going to take you to our Facebook group where you can sign up. Like I said, we're going to be creating some modules on there where we can go through material together and we can strengthen one another. Or you can use our Texan church number, the one we use for, uh, for people to sign up for the digital connect card, and you can text the word follow. So rather than texting river, just text the word follow. And we'll get you set up that way and we'll make sure that either through Facebook or through other means, you will be getting these materials so that together we can hold each other accountable. Together we can grow in what God has called us to do as a church, as a people of God, as disciples. Because I believe this is what we are called to do. That when we say that we are going to follow what Jesus has told us to do, we became, become part of the evidence of God's power and God's work in this world. And so this week, I really want to encourage you, look for the fingerprints of Jesus. I'm telling you, they're everywhere. A practice I try to do every day is before I go to bed, I take a moment or two, and I just try to think through, where did I see God at work in my life? 
Where, where did I see evidence of His hand being upon me? And there, it's always there. So let's be people who are searching out the evidence like, like, like a good criminal investigator dusting for prints. Go through your life and dust for prints. Find the evidences of Him being there. And I think you'll see them every day. But beyond that, I think if you just raise up your hand, and we were going to have some ink blotters up here, but we just thought maybe that's not the COVID, best COVID thing and, like, and make some little cards for you. But, but take your hands and see the fingerprints that are on there and recognize that part of the fingerprints of God are your hands extended. That you get to be a part of allowing Jesus to be known in the world around us by putting your fingerprints on the lives of other people. By choosing to allow the love of God to flow through you. But be looking for that every day. Look for opportunities to be His hands extended. And you will begin to provide evidence for other people. That's what this Christian hope is all about. That we are people who trust in God. We are people who believe in God. We are people who allow our lives to be driven along, not by blind faith, not by crazy hope, but by reasonable faith, by believable hope. That one day we will see Him again because He promised we would be with Him. Which is one of the reasons why we celebrate communion. This is one of the reasons why we take time in our church schedule to worship God through this act because we were told that we should do this. You know, there's a lot of reasons why people doubt. There just is. Unfortunately, I think one of the reasons that people doubt is because we as a church fight over some of the most petty things. And one thing that hurts my heart is that just this act of communion has become so divisive. I mean, isn't it just like the enemy to take the symbol that was supposed to be the thing that united us and cause churches around the world to fight over, does it mean this or does it mean that? Does this happen or does that happen? Does it really turn into blood, into, into flesh, or is it his body and he just indwells in it, or is it just a symbol? We, we have all of these people who are arguing over what this is about. And the truth is, we don't really understand fully what God does through this act of communion. But this is something that is certain. That for 2,000 years, this was a means of uniting the church. A few weeks back, we looked at Acts chapter 2. And it says one of the things that they devoted themselves to was the Lord's Supper. And I don't think that meant that once a month they had a special service and, and had communion together. As a matter of fact, if you read it, although you can't say 
the text seems to imply that they were getting together often in their own homes without an ordained person with a fancy robe on administering communion. That this was something that ordinary people did often as a way to remind themselves. For over 200 years, for 300 years, this early church couldn't say, we believe God because the Bible tells us so. Because they didn't have the Bible to tell them so. The unifying element was this. The body and the blood of Christ. That they got together often and they reminded themselves. And I think it was back in June, I just I felt compelled, like, we need to take some time. And as we were talking about hospitality, we need to take some time and actually have communion together more than our regular once a month thing. And I feel like we need to do that again. And so actually, the next few weeks, unless God changes my mind again, I think I'm going to shift where I was going, and we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at what communion is. Because if the early church devoted themselves to it, I think we need to be a little bit more aware of it and more aware of what it's there for and why we should be people who hold this thing up. So we're going we're gonna to celebrate it today, but over the next few weeks, we're going to dive deeper into this. Because I, I believe this is a part of what causes the church to move forward. It's a, a continual reminder of what Christ has done. And so I really hope you can come and be a part of these next few services. I think they're going to be special. And, and here's what I understand. We, as a church, our official doctrine is that we believe this is a symbol. That nothing supernatural happens to these elements. We, as a church, practice an open communion, which means you don't have to be a, a member of our church to practice communion with us. That if you call upon the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can participate. But those are doctrinal beliefs. Those are philosophical holdings. Scripturally, truthfully, I don't really understand why this is so powerful. But I know that it is. I know that the more often we remember that we are undeserving of this grace, the more often we remember that though we may be sick, though we may be struggling, He allowed Himself to be broken to purchase our healing. That though there's times doubt creep into our heart, His blood was poured out so that we could be drawn close, so that we could be forgiven of our offenses. Again, I don't get it. 
can't, I can't measure it on a scale. I can't quantify it. But I know it's real. And I know there's power in it. And I know it has to be elevated above just a snack time we throw into service. And it doesn't have to be juice and crackers. I really want to encourage you, find ways to connect with this outside of these services. I really want to encourage you, as a family, do this together. Do it with whatever you have. Maybe you're together in the morning and, and you, you have communion with coffee and donuts. It sounds irreligious sacrilegious or something like that, but it's not. Because there's something about lifting up the cup together, lifting up the bread together, breaking bread together in some way, some fashion. It doesn't matter the mode. It doesn't matter the means. It matters the motive. That we are taking time out of our days, out of our lives, to remember this is our hope. This is our trust. This is our faith. We are so undeserving of it, but we are so grateful for it. And that we want to live lives that reflect what He has done. So, I want to pray. And if there are those of you who are with us today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to accept Him right now. And then I'm going to bless these elements. And then we're going to partake of this together. Matter of fact, why don't we stand? Because we're going we're to sing one more song of worship right afterwards. But let me pray. God, I pray that you would be the one to convince us this morning of your truth. That we would recognize, not because I had clever words, but because your Holy Spirit is here wooing people's hearts. That you are real. That your presence is in this place. Your presence is traveling through the internet right now. You're meeting people right where they're at and helping them to see that you are real. You are alive. You are providing hope to everyone who will seek you. God, if there's anyone in this room or if there's anyone who's connecting with us online or connecting with us later, and they sense you drawing them, they've never put their faith in you, or they've walked away from their faith in you. Make it real to them right now. If that's you, I want to encourage you just to pray a simple prayer. You can use my words, you can use your own. You can say this out loud, or you can say this in the quietness of your heart. But I pray that you would pray something like this. Say, dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that God rose you from the dead.
please forgive me for my old life. Today I turn away from that life and I turn toward God. Holy Spirit, fill me. Give me the strength to follow Jesus every day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, please come talk with us. Let us know. If you're online, send us a message. Let us know that you made this decision because we want to make sure you have the resources you need to follow Jesus more closely. For those of us who call upon his name, we do this because we remember that on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said, as often as we partake of this bread, we drink of this cup, we are remembering what he has done until he returns. So let's be a people to remember in this moment. Jesus, bless this act. We don't pretend that we're smart enough to understand dynamic of how this works. We need your presence. So whatever way you need to do it, however way you need to fulfill it, may your presence be here. Help us to know that you are with us. And let this be a healing time. That bodies would be restored. That souls would be refreshed. That we could walk out of here telling unbelievable tales of your goodness in our lives. We trust you for greater things this morning. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. We partake of this together to remember your sacrifice. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's partake of this together. The bread and then the cup. We're going to sing one more song of worship. We have a couple of our prayer team members here and they're going to find some different corners. And if you need prayer for anything during this worship time, please come seek out one of our prayer team members and let them pray for you. Let them join their faith with yours. And let's see God do amazing things as we trust Him and put our hope in Him. Hope is here. Let's be a people who live like it. Amen? Love you guys.